And thanks to Cry Malt, local malt for local beer, this is Beer is a Conversation, the program on the Radio Brews News podcast channel in which we chat with the people changing and shaping the beer industry. This week you'll hear a conversation I recorded on my recent trip to Britain with Alex Troncoso, founder of Lost and Grounded Brewers in Bristol. Before starting Lost and Grounded, Alex was Brewing and Development Director at Camden Town Brewery, founded by another Australian, Jasper Cuppage, and before that he had an eight-year career at Little Creatures, culminating as the Head of Brewing Development. It's a fascinating chat with a brewer making some of the most distinctive beers I tried during my trip. But first, we have a quick word from one of the sponsors making these conversations on Radio Brews News possible. Love craft beer, good food and somewhere to enjoy both at the same time? Zubru Craft Beer Festival is coming to Taronga July 21st to the 23rd, 2017. Tickets are on sale now for the first ever festival of its kind in Australia, hosted by the Taronga Centre. Go to tarongacentre.com.au for more details and tickets. Taste local craft brews from more than 20 breweries including Stone and Wood, Two Birds, Nomad, Bentspoke and many more. Enjoy food from event partner, the Royal Albert Hotel. Indulge in the shuck truck, curries by Surgits, or smoke goodness from Jackalope Food Co. And hear talks from industry professionals. Zoo Brew Festival is coming soon, so don't miss out on tickets. Go to tarongacentre.com.au today to get yours and come share a beer with friends. A portion of all proceeds goes towards supporting wildlife conservation for Taronga Conservation Society Australia. Zoo Brew Festival at Taronga. It's gonna be wild. Alex Troncoso, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Um, thank you very much for having me at Lost and Grounded in uh, Bristol. Yeah, no worries. Nice to have you. Mate, we were talking uh, off mic about how long it's been since uh, we caught up, and it, it goes back to 2012 that we tried to get you on the on the podcast, yeah. um, and a lot has happened since then. But for people that do remember, we did uh, catch up with you when you were the head brewer at Little Creatures when yeah. it was still only in Fremantle. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your career since uh, Little Creatures and uh, what, what brought you to this point. Yeah, so um, in 2012, uh, so I'd probably been feeling for a little while, it was almost time for me to start looking for the next thing after Little Creatures, and then I guess a, a number of things happened. I sort of like potentially found a job in London, and at the time I was like, oh, that's so exciting, so my partner and I were thinking that we might go do that. At the same time, I just finished a master's degree, and then at the same time, the company got sort of um, fully taken over, and so it's just a few things all came together, and we thought, okay, yeah, it's maybe time to move on. Um, so we went to London, so I was brewing director at a brewery called Camden Town Brewery, which has now also been taken over by, 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 by a big brewer. Um, but I was there for two and a half years, and we sort of, the reason why we first came over is because we could see, like, the beer market. I mean, it's obviously the beer industry is quite a bit larger in, in this part of the world, just from sheer population. Um, and you could see how, like, everything was going to quite rapidly be changing, so it just looked like a fun thing to sort of be a part of. And so, I mean, even at my brief time at Camden, I was there two and a half years, and we went from the year before I started, they sold 12,000 hex, and the year I left, we were on track to sell 70,000. So it's just like, you can see what can happen with a, with a sort of a product and large population, and obviously a lot of other things have to be right as well. But um, but we never quite settled in London. We always sort of felt a bit um, unsettled. So one day we're on the way to Cornwall on holidays, and we and we stopped in Bristol for the night because an old mate of mine in Melbourne used to live in Bristol, and he said Danny and I like, oh, that's really nice. You should go check it out. And I don't know. We just stopped, and then. We stopped again on the way back from Cornwall, and then we came a few more times, and then we just thought, oh, I don't, I don't know what happened. We just got a wild hair for us, I suppose, and just <laughs> decided to just roll the dice and go for it. So, 
um, resigned from my job and we had us sponsored up when I was working there so we had to get new visas and then um, we moved to Bristol had to find a place to live and then had to get additional financing and and find a site and all that sort of stuff so it all seems quite simple but in reality it was like bloody complicated and it was been probably yeah, not the easiest couple of years, I reckon. <laughs> you know, it sounds simple when you say it like that, but there's obviously a lot in it. But what was the attraction of because you did have a, a small stint with AB InBev in Belgium, um, yeah, yeah. while you were still employed by Little Creatures, or you left Little Creatures I and then went little back. Little Creatures, yeah, yeah. So that was probably just getting like itchy feet, you know, thinking like you put the you know lure of sort of travel or doing something a bit more exotic or whatever. But yeah, I sort of found there that I just didn't. I knew then like I didn't really enjoy working in big companies. I don't actually don't have anything against big companies or small companies, whatever. But me personally, I just felt I wasn't much of a corporate sort of person, you know. So, so that was a good learning experience from that point of view. There, I mean, I didn't sort of, I wasn't really there long enough to really achieve much. But you know, I learned a bit and got to go to some interesting breweries and got to drink lots of Belgian beer. So, <laughs> yeah. and no doubt learned a lot because you've got a very German influence to to your brewing style. Uh, yeah, I did. I mean, I didn't originally, but that's um, probably a few things in like just being a, probably even like little creatures when I was there. We started to get like me and who, Russ, who's the head brewer there now, we started to get a little bit obsessed with our pilsner, like why we couldn't actually make decent pilsner. Oh, we had a, we had a beer just came into the room there. So, so here, well, this is this isn't uh, German beer, but this is uh, this is fresh off the line, freshly bottled off the line, not even had a cap on it. This is fresh off the line here, so this is Neris for Dancer which is a red ale. Nothing worse than dead air. So, uh, well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So, well, well, we sample that. Now, yeah, so... Um, after a while, like, um, I mean, it's, so, it's sort of that sort of happening and then started to get a little bit obsessed with, like, how, like, why it was so challenging to make just well, a beer that should be so simple to make. And then, um, then obviously, it went to... Camden and there's a lot of lager production that's actually one of the reasons why I went there it was um, a lot of lager production and then uh, and then during that time we did a keep a contract brewing and we'd set it up to do contract brewing in Germany and then after a year doing that I moved all the production to a brewery in Belgium and then um, when we came to do our own um, thing we just eventually kind of realized actually you know it's actually Germany and Belgium is like what we're most fascinated with so why don't we do a brewery where we take influences from all various places so whether it be you know sort of German brewing Belgian brewing or US brewing or whatever let's just take all that and put it into a blender and kind of put our own ideas to it and none of us are German none of us are Belgian right so we're not really like branding ourselves as German or Belgian that's just complete bullshit so and even for the ales I mean this this is more or less like one in our hands more or less like a Belgian double except we don't actually call it a double we just call it like a red ale so what's the ABV on it because 6.2 wow because that is again um, all of the beers have just been really really deceptively uh, to to taste them you just would not be able to pick the alcohol because you don't get any alcohol and even when they're full-bodied, they are still very light and uh, you know, very elegant. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of like a, this how it's ended up and how we like it to be is like everything. If, if everything's in its right place, then you can actually the drinker can choose. Do you want to think about it or not think about it? So if we wanted to think about that beer, we could analyze it. We could talk about all different manner of things like yeah, the body or the smoothness or the malt character or the hops or whatever. But also you can just drink it and not care because like actually ninety nine point nine percent of people don't care. <laughs> they just want to drink it and have fun, you know. That said, I, I can't imagine ordering a pint of this in a pub. Is it a beer that you bottle? specifically for that reason or is it a beer that you would buy a pint of it in a uh, yeah so it, it sort of depends i mean we, we do a split 
alternative bottle and keg for this. So leading up to Easter, there's a lot of uh, draft product out there. So people were kind of smashing pints of it all over the place. But we're, we are finding more like for our, this and our saison and our and our triple that we make, uh, we're kind of probably leaning more towards bottling more of the production and less draft. Whereas like say for the lagers, it's, it's a lot higher draft proportion. So, but we're kind of learning as we go. So every week we just look at the sales and go, Oh shit, we have too much of that in stock. <laughs> <laughs> or not enough of that, you know, so. But, you know, you're just learning all the time. So going back to your time at Camden, as you said, they went through explosive growth during your, your time there. What was it about Camden, the brewery and the business, that saw it go? Was it the fact that when a lot of other breweries were looking at ales, they concentrated on lager? Was it uh, a, a smart marketing team? Was it great beer that you were uh, making? Or what, what, what saw their really rapid growth? Uh, it's probably a few things. It's probably say like product, probably timing, you know, probably branding, probably quality because we had that, um, we got that all ironed out, and probably pricing as well. So there's probably a few things that all kind of lined up together. And and strangely in the UK, like the, like yeah, Germany is just there, but actually in fact, not many beers make it out of Bavaria. <laughs> too. You know, it's like most of the breweries there just sell around their local areas. So it's quite surprising when you think like uh, most of the lagers, many of the global brands, you know, that's still drunk in the UK. So um, there's probably a few different things, you know, that's, that all came into it. That in itself is interesting because uh, I love a saying that the Germans have drink beer around the chimney, meaning that you can see the chimney of the brewery from oh, yeah. where, where you're drinking the beer. And uh, every small town has a little brewery, even if there is a large brewery in the, yeah. in, in the area. Is that something that we see in the UK, or you know, is, it, is a brand like Camden taking that element, but then almost changing it by growing so rapidly? Yeah, it's probably, um, it's probably is, I, I would say, this might be across Europe maybe, compared to Australia, probably things are a little bit more localised, I think. So even like if you look at the 1700 brewers in the UK, it's like, you got probably about 1500 of them are like less than about 2000 hectolitres. So, you got like a lot that are very um, small that are just selling like Cascale around their immediate kind of vicinity. And then you kind of have another tier, which is sort of like from there, then you got sort of like bigger sort of regionals and, and, and say regionals to like sort of larger small brewers. I don't know what you, what you want to call them. And then, you know, then you kind of go to the like global brewers, let's say. So there's kind of a few different things where in Australia back in the day, I guess it's, um, well, for a while, a few years ago, you kind of had like the small brewers and you had the, the national brewers and Actually, the only kind of mid-tier brewer left was sort of um, Cooper's, really. Mm-hmm. You know, that's sort of uh, everyone else got swallowed up. And, you know, I guess Bogues before San Miguel and before Lyon, I suppose, was probably in that category as well as like Cascade was. But, um, yes, it's, it's probably the market's a little bit different here. And there's a lot more competition in the market, not just brewers selling beer, but even like suppliers. So, like, I could turn around tomorrow and probably buy Pilsner malt from like six different people if I wanted to. Um, and, yeah, that's it for hops, for cardboard, for glass. I remember... You know, like you can, you can literally go here and say to cardboard supplier, I want this sample, da da da, how much you want to order, and it might just be a very small quantity, and like you'll there'll be a sample on your desk like tomorrow or the next day. So it's like very, what I noticed when, I first, when we first came here, it was like just very, very different in terms of the competition um, from suppliers all the way through to selling, you know. It's and is that because of the size of the market can support a lot of competitors, a lot of businesses that supply the industry? Yeah, I think so, you know. And because, of course, I think we were, 
I mean, I don't know what it's like in Australia anymore, but I mean, I suppose in Australia to an extent we were fairly well insulated from any economic issues that were in the last kind of 10 years, whereas like here definitely wasn't so. So companies that are out there are like very much keen to get work, you know, and so it's, which is good for brewers, but you know, we also have to sell beer with a lot of other breweries. <laughs> so, so, you know, nothing's, yeah, so nothing's kind of, uh, you know, it's just different, it's just different. So you were at Camden, um, you left before they, they were taken over, and it was after you tripped uh, through Bristol and uh, fell in love. What was it about Bristol that uh, really excited you? Um, so my partner Annie and I just felt like it was, um, I don't know, after London it kind of felt like freedom a little bit. I don't, I'm not sure if we just sort of got here and it just reminds us probably a lot more of Australia, like people a lot more, um, I guess, relaxed. And obviously it's a lot smaller, so I mean, it's only half a million people sort of thing. But I think the thing we really like is it's quite independent, like there's lots of independent food and drink and independent, you know, art, music, whatever. There's kind of a, a definitely different sort of aura about it than um, than some other places, you know. And so, and we kind of thought about a few different um, locations around the UK, but I don't know, we just ended up in Bristol and thought, you know, it's quite easy, like London's just two hours that way, Manchester's only kind of two and a half hours that way, you know, you can get down to Cornwall easy. If there's, you know, if people end up, say, joining the company and over a longer term, there's really good, you know, there's two really good universities here. There's, you know, so there's lots of kind of things that are all, all sort of here, you know, and yeah, I don't know, we just, luckily we found a site. So. <laughs> But there, you mentioned that there are a lot of breweries that are here already. You, uh, you didn't think of maybe joining one of those uh, with your brewing credentials. It was a case of investing and going large on your own brewery. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, just, I don't know. We decided to roll the dice. Sometimes it's like it's just crazy, you know. It's not the like I said earlier. It's not the the least stressful way to do it, you know. So I, I don't think uh, Annie and I have slept for about two years. <laughs> We're trying. We're trying, but. Um, yeah, no, we did. I think we did, we just reached a point. Where we thought, oh, we don't want to die wondering, you know. So why don't we just kind of actually do it and see what happens? We started everything with a very clear picture of what we wanted to do and how we want to do it. And it was like, I mean, originally we were only going to make two beers. Now we make six, but you know, plus all the specials. So it's only been a year. Yeah, it's only been not even a year. We haven't even been brewing a year yet. But first of all, it was like, but let's make beautiful Keller beers. So we had basically, okay, so if you want to make beautiful Keller beer, like unfiltered lager, how are you going to do it? Well, we need to have, you know, we need to be able to use the malt we want to use. So that's why we have our own mills. Many small brewers around um, don't have their own mill. And I was like, okay, well, how, if you're going to make good lager, what do you need? Well, you have to have a brew house of a certain nature. So that's why we have the brew house. Um, what else can help give it a certain character? Well, that's why we have the lactic acid propagation in the brew house. And then it's, you know, everything down to like how you manage the fermentation, maturation, and then even going through to like because we don't have the restriction here with 50 litre kegs like there is in Australia most brewers here use like one way kegs but we really didn't want to use one way kegs if possible um, so that's why we have our own keg fleet um, why is that? Uh, just because it's well they're quite expensive I suppose is one but then they're also I think it, there can be a lot of accounts that find them difficult because you do have to like then flatten them and try and recycle them but most recycling people won't take them so you just throw them in the bin so a lot of the ones that are theory, theoretically recycled are just actually going into the bin you know but on the flip side, it is very good. So you can you can obviously get up and running quite easily. So so we have kegs. We just have to manage those. Um, we'll start using one of my kegs for export. But we really just wanted to you know primarily use uh, our own keg fleet. That way, it's easy for the bars. And it's, you know it's 30 liter kegs. So like I said earlier, it's not that much of a commitment if someone's going to buy a beer of an unknown brewery. Um, da da da. So it's sort of like start with the end in mind. And that's why the site is as it is because we have room to grow. Because ultimately, what we want to do is just make like a regional business. So if we get up to the point where we have, 
you know, like there's the drawing up of the wall there. So if we get to the point where we've done all that and we have, say, 30 people working here and I don't know, I guess we felt like we've done something. Oh, we've already done something, but, you know, we have we do have like a longer term thing of where we want to get to. So, so talk to me about Lost and Grounded. What's behind the name? Uh, so the lost, the lost bit was really related to Annie and I sort of feeling like we were always sort of drifting because... Annie's from Tasmania. I grew up in the U.S. till I was 16, then moved to Brisbane. Uh, my old man was Chilean. I was born in Guatemala. So in our adult life, I mean, when we met in Tasmania, we lived in Tassie, Brisbane, Melbourne, Perth, Brussels, Perth, Melbourne, London, and then um, Bristol. So that's kind of the last bit. And then um, the grounded bit is... Uh, one definition is someone that's sensible and knows what's important in life. So that can be, for us, was actually realizing we just wanted to stop somewhere and actually try and make something where we feel like we've done something, you know, and actually given people careers. Obviously, you know, we want to retire one day, but, uh, you know, we want to do something where we've given people careers and um, and made some beautiful beer and actually look back and say, hey, we we did it, you know, so... I don't want to feel like you're too much bullshit. But yeah. no, 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 not at all. But uh, one of the things I find is that there are a lot of breweries who have a great idea for a name or, you know, that they have an idea. Yeah. But then that doesn't necessarily flow into what they're doing. How does yeah. the, that idea of Lost and Grounded flow into your approach to brewing and flow into the beers that you are now creating uh, with that brewery? Well, I think it's like remembering what's important. So if we said like that thing with um, making beautiful, say, Keller, Keller pills, it's like, well, what's important? It's all those things. It's like, well, the malt be like this, the brew house is like that, da, 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 da. Also, what's important, say, with this um, beer, which is kind of more Belgian-inspired, and we'll taste some others later on. It's like, what's important? Well, you need to try and make this specialty beer but not have it heavy and cloying, not have... Um, try and keep the yeast character in check a little bit. You want a little bit in there, so that's quite sort of... Uh, I mean, it's fruity and all that, but it's it's actually quite smooth and drinkable, so it's it's about how to keep everything in the right proportions. So it's what's important, I guess, is where I'm getting to, is like balance, and that's not just final gravity and the ABV. It's, it's also looking at the fermentation temperatures, the beer pHs, these um, carbonation levels, all these different things, all the nuances, because as a brewery, you have a toolkit, you know, you have all the different things you can use to get the beer to be how you want it to be. So we focus a lot on pH and sometimes it can be higher and actually higher makes it kind of fuller and smoother and so it can be actually slightly higher pH but it's a slightly lower finishing gravity so the beer is kind of drier but it still feels quite full you know so there's all the different things you can do so and then you know it's everything we do then we sort of think about like okay is that the best way to do that or is that the most clever way or um, like I said about even the, the kegs it's like let's, what's important is it's really easy for a bar to buy a keg and pour it so let's have a keg with the most common coupler which is sankey coupler um, in this part of the world anyway so all of our kegs are s type so easy every bar has one <laughs> so you know so just trying to make things like simple you know and even with the layout of the, the brewery here is like what's important is that we need to worry about the quality of the beer so let's try and have a brewery with a layout such that it's like incredibly efficient to be really running a small team there's only there's only six of us here and um that's doing everything but it's like very efficient, well organised. So you calm even, you know. And, uh, and you haven't skimped either. It's, it's it's nice German engineering, and it's, yeah. it's it's the sort of brewery you'd see in a much larger. In yeah. fact, it was it's a slightly smaller version of what I saw you install at Little Creatures way yeah, back yeah, in uh, so 2008. Yeah, so it's um, two and a half thousand liter brew house. Eventually, it could be five vessels. This is three vessels. But also starting with the end in mind, it's like if we want to do that, what's on the wall with all those extra tanks, all the infrastructure we have there with the utilities is actually enough to actually make that happen. So although, you know, we're in the risky bit now because we've just started, so we have lots of bills to pay. But in the long run, actually, it'll be um, a very well thought through operation, you know. So 
that's the idea. In the meantime, we still have to deal with all the chaos and stuff that happens. You know, so. and, and talk to me about the English beer market. How does it differ from the Australian market where um, in Australia you've had two main brewers? They've operated very much in locking as many tap points down as they can as a you know, match race, one against the other. Yeah. It took a long time for craft brewers to try and prize taps uh, yeah. free. We, we are now seeing that. We're seeing as particularly as contracts end that there are more operators that are willing to have a go on craft. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about the English market and uh, what it's like to operate in, in, in the local market. Uh, so it's, um, so it's, quite, it's quite different, like I said um, uh, earlier like it's there's a lot of competition that be suppliers through to like you know players I think that I think a big difference here is like the the although there was a number of regionals that kind of shut down or got absorbed over the years actually that the mid-tier of brewing never disappeared a bit like many European countries um, they, they, they still have the like, kind of like the regional family brewers so whether that be in Belgium or Germany or or um, in the UK so there's still that mid-tier so you do have the kind of the traditional brewers um, that you know once upon a time were very cast led and probably still a lot are. Um, so you got them still there. You got the global brewers probably trying to crush them a little bit. And then you had all the small guys come up the other end. So like actually those guys are in a probably over the last number of years are in a challenging position of trying to having to fight people both ways. It's a bit like um, in the U.S. You hear that from some of the larger craft brewers that yeah they. They're constantly the meat in a sandwich. Like the the big guys are trying to crush them, and the small guys are trying to take their sales. You know, so so that's still there. And then, I suppose the the big unique thing about the UK is obviously cask beer. You know, I mean, we don't make cask beer here, but cask beer is obviously still very huge. And even when when you go out to start selling, and we because we don't make cask beer, and even for the first few months we didn't have bottled beer, and so a lot of the keg taps are still tied or or um or contracted, and you know, but a lot of cask taps are free. So it, it does make it such that and if you have a small brewery, the barrier to entry and doing maybe uh, a small local cast brewery is like quite a bit lower than, say, doing like what we're doing here. But there's probably, there's a lot of pubs. So, I mean, I think in London there's as many licensed venues as there's in all of Australia. <laughs> Something like that. I, I heard a statistic one day. So if you're a brewery kind of doing cask as well, then you probably have a lot, you know, additional routes to market that you can that you can go with, you know. So, and, and also, like, because pub is where people, a lot of people drink here so we're, we're kind of 70% draft here about 30% bottle or 25% bottle whereas you know we're, that's a, you almost reverse that in Australia for lots of brewers so and I mean the other thing here is that beer duty although at full duty rate it's really not any different to Australia now it's pretty much the same might even be higher now I'm not, not sure I need to look it up but whereas um, up to 5,000 hectoliters around 50% beer duty and then then there's a tiered so did that, that's the same as excise so a yeah, lot of yeah. craft brewers are looking at getting excise breaks for, for small yeah. brewers so we're, so we're at 50% up to 5,000 hex and then it's a calculation a sort of sliding scale from 5,000 to 60,000 so you're not on full duty until 60,000 hex whereas then the rest of the EU is actually 200,000 hex so a small brewer goes from 5,000 up to 200,000 the rest of the EU so that's quite a bit different and then as well I'm not sure what the payments terms are with duty in Australia now but us it's um, 25 days from month end so a bit more um, forgiving than when it used to be seven days <laughs> you know in Australia it's like I think I can always remember like you know we had finished the sales week and on the Monday you just scramble to do the calculations and pay the money you know so I'm not sure what it's like now I think they were extending that a bit a few years ago but I don't know so it's quite a few differences and even um, probably the issues of planning and city councils and everything's probably it was a bit it was quite straightforward here actually so we already had approval on this building and we just put in for a thing saying we're going to build a brewery here and just came back, yeah, no problem, here's your approval. Was that because 
brewing wasn't a novelty, whereas in in Australia a whole lot of councils haven't had yeah, a probably. And there's like a lot of, um, I mean, there, there's a lot of breweries, and it's always been something that's around. And I think, especially in places like London, where it's, you have a huge population density, you know, another brewery up the road putting some more trade waste down the sewers, not, not really, you know, they don't even see it show up, <laughs> you know, really. Um, so there's. Some things are quite a bit more straightforward than I, than I think they might be in Australia. I get a sense, um, listening to you talk, that there's uh, a lot more of a philosophy behind what you do with your brewing and your approach uh, than, and you're almost apologetic in talking about some of the things before about the spirit of, of the business. You almost yeah. apologise for that. Is there more of a spirit behind what you're saying? And you sort of just feel yeah, a little bit... Yeah, no, like I, I just... We, we did make it very clear about what we want to do and how we want to do it. And so all the time we're always thinking about that. And, you know, we haven't started the easiest way in that we're, we're making like pale lager as our main beer, you know, and it's probably like the most competitive category and all the big guys make it. So it is about how do you how do you sell that? And yeah, for us, I think we just wanted to, like Annie and I wanted to start and just yeah, have a very clear idea of how we want it to be. And that way, when it comes to how we sell beer or the beers we choose to make or the sponsorships we decide to do or the um, events we do as a brewery that we've all given it some thought and it actually goes through a quick little thought process so say if if we want to be inclusive in what we do then if something comes along and we can look at it go actually that's not very inclusive so actually we can just rule that out you know so let's just take that off the radar and and look at something else that fits more like what we want to be you know so so what does inclusive mean to you um, I think it. Well, I think for beer, it has to be beers for everyone. So although we have, I guess, say Keller Pills, a beer that can be more widely distributed, and some beers a bit more specialist. But in fact, it still has to be inclusive in that the beer is approachable and is balanced, and everything's in its right place. You know, so that's one thing. I mean, the other thing will be um, just in the philosophy of as we grow, and it's very difficult, like you've never done this before, right? So, um, but as we grow, it's like, you know, we don't want to make it long-term about a top-down, like, mantra. It's more, it should be eventually like a, a team thing about how do we actually drive this thing forward, you know? So, right now, we're in the chaos stage. So, we're <laughs> in the complete chaos stage. How hard is it to go... Now, you've worked for Little Creatures um, from the early days right through to when they were taken over. You've worked with Camden... Um, which was probably a little bit more established than Little Creatures, um, and you left but just before they were taken over. But how hard is it to go from fairly large, well-disciplined breweries um, and come in as the brewer to concentrate on your element to then have the business and have every element under your uh, sort of decision-making control? Uh, yeah, that's definitely taking a little time to get our heads around. You know, like I remember when we first started paying ourselves, we are like, what, what? going to be the pays. We're actually going to pay ourselves. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think that's definitely different because it's not like the hours have been crazy or anything. Let's say the physical hours here, but it's more like actually like the psychological hours and that it doesn't stop, so the mind's always ticking. Just like I was saying earlier about social media and... The way even the last 10 years or whatever, it went from like, we didn't even think about social media to suddenly like it's actually the main platform that everyone uses. So, I mean, Annie's like 24 hours a day nearly like has a constant sort of barrage of tweets and Facebook messages and Instagram things and, and all that. But it does help give everyone a tone of what the business is like. So it's very, very important. But yeah, it just doesn't stop, basically. It just doesn't stop. But that in itself, we, we, when you were giving me a tour, you mentioned that that doesn't stop. It's a big part of staying relevant and, and keeping people's mindsets. But then so does 
regular collaboration brews or regular one-off brews. How, how taxing is that and how hard is that as a business to constantly be coming up with something new and the costs associated with it and uh, not being able to concentrate on your core range? Yeah, I think we're getting better at it. I think, um, I mean, in the past, you know, I'd, I'd always struggled a little bit because you get, especially when you're, get to the point where you're really really busy and have this constant thing that to do something else you're just like oh god the mind is exploding but um i think now we're sort of yeah we're sort of settled into it now a little bit we do i mean it is you always get caught out by something like you know i forgot to order the keg badges for the zebra kelly like till too late so now we've already had to send beer out without badges you know so there's but there's little things that, it, that you sort of do but it's kind of like it's I think the issue is it's not not like optional, in, at least here in the UK right now. It's not optional. It's mandatory. You know, so you just have to. That's the way it works. And for us, you know, you have you have a range of breweries from like um, us who have like a core range and we kind of specials off to the side. But you have some other breweries where they just do different beer all the time. You know, so you, there's a the whole spectrum of creativity and brewing going on. You know, do you think there's a risk that the constant need for the new is going to kill the small brewing industry just because of the difficulty in uh yeah well there's a bit of an issue in that um i think everyone does get overloaded with specials so i mean there are quite a few pubs who actually just work on rotating beer lists and keep keeping it fresh all the time but um i think right now there's a lot more brewers than there are probably outlets so i think uh, yeah over time it's probably a bit challenging i reckon and, and is that in itself one of the, the small wheels inside the bigger beer industry of craft beer, that there is a, a limited number of consumers who want ever-changing options, but then it's the next circle out, the people who want flavour but are more willing to stick with one or two brands yeah, yeah. that can be harder for a small brewer like yeah, yourself? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing. Like, you know, a lot of us as brewers, we focus on that kind of like point whatever percent of beer drinker because that's probably if we come from a brewing background we're into beer da 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 um but it is really like the um that kind of next level out which is probably there's a lot more potential there i think it's a constant debate it's almost like a band or something that gets popular it's like it must be a constant feeling of like wanting to be true to your roots at the same time as wanting to have some kind of a success <laughs> you know so yeah there is a fine line between sort of uh trying to get that balance right i think is, is probably difficult you know i mean for us it's like but ultimately we want to make beautiful lager so like if you have good attention to detail to one thing everything else should flow so if our attention to detail is actually making beautiful lager and how do you do that then that attention to how we produce that beer and how, how we sort of craft that product will flow through to all other products so that be the roundness of the palate or the smoothness or whatever and all that should kind of flow together you know so i think everyone should be good at something so i think when you go into the box just try to have been good at something <laughs> you know whether it is like i said whether it's being a chef or a brewer or a journalist or something you know you want to actually do something and be good at it you know so you have had access to some really great minds in in the brewing industry the, the guys from little creatures who you still are in regular contact with how important have they been to sort of guiding and shaping your vision for lost and grounded um so we sort of reached out to them and we'd actually already had the plan together and everything and uh and they really said, oh, that looks pretty cool. 
So um, you kind of looks like you got it covered already. So I mean, I, I we regularly catch up with uh, Howard on the phone and just kind of have a chat. And it's more like a sense check, you know, because um, he sort of gives us an idea of what's happening over there, and we sort of talk about different challenges we're having or how we're feeling or whatever. It's probably more from that side of things. I think in terms of like the nuts and bolts, it's a bit more like, well, you know, we kind of have an idea what we want to do, where we want to get to, and how we want to do it. So that's it's fine. It's more like emotional support almost. You know, like it's like a counseling session every. Every, every every so often. But, uh, and, and I guess one last question. Where do you see the, the beer market going? Obviously, you've made an investment in it. You're fairly positive about the future? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, right now, we, we said the other day, it's like if, if we could just get this running to capacity, it would just feel like so nice just to just go, right, we're, at least we've done that, you know, and we're safe. I think, uh, I think the challenge for a lot of people especially in places maybe like London and every brewer that's successful there has had the same problem in that they get bigger they have a challenge they have to start contract brewing they need premises they can't find premises because they tend to be a new company so they don't have the right financial history for like a larger site to want to give them a lease so there's this constant kind of battle for people to like actually try and break out of that so there's a number of brewers that are having that issue. That's kind of one reason why we're in Bristol as well, because you know real estate overhead would be would be less and um, probably easier to get a site and all that. So I, I think though that there's, there's still going to be increasing like a pack that are getting bigger and start to get a bit more efficient. And then if you're at the smaller end, it, it's almost like actually, and this happened in the U.S. as well. Like I kind of like economics in a way. This sounds weird, but um, it's a bit philosophical. But um, the brewing industry, literally in this day and age. Is, is probably like literally economics in action. Like, you know, it is really there. You can see like you have the early players and you have the sort of other ones that join and then you have the, the latecomers and the imitators and da da da. And, and eventually when time reaches infinity, everyone's fighting on price, right? <laughs> so, so I think, you know, where we've started here is like, well, okay, we wanna make all this beautiful beer and everything, but you can't ignore the fact that you actually need to be efficient at the same time because as much as we might wanna sell our beer for whatever price, especially in the UK at the moment, there's that constant reality check of like, you know, and literally some people might go like, oh, well, that's too quick, cheaper, I'll buy that, you know, so it's, it's that, that close to the bone, you know, so you can't ignore that. So I think the people that have a better grasp on everything, like branding, beer quality, and also like the financial economic realities of things will probably be the most successful, I guess. We're hoping we're in that club eventually. <laughs> you, you did touch on very early um, in, in the chat about export. Are you talking about exporting from uh, Bristol to London, for example? Do you sell beer into London or are you talking uh, much further afield? Uh, well, yeah, so we sell beer all over the UK now, so Northern Ireland, Scotland, um, uh, around here as well. But uh, like the thing with, you know, if we put ex- export kind of in sort of uh, inverted commas or whatever, is like literally you know we could we just started sending some beer to france sweden will come along very soon you know after sweden it'll probably be finland and norway or something and like everything's just there you know so literally a truck can pick up here and like it'll be there in a day and so although it's export and it's a different market it, it is actually quite local when you think about sending beer across the nullarbor you know and within the eu there's and i don't know what happens once we're apparently leaving the eu so i don't know what happens after that but um there's um also all the i guess um excise or, or government beer duty kind of things are all jo- joined up so you know we it's quite easy to organize a, a um, duty suspended movement from us to like a customer in france or a customer in germany or whatever you know so it's, everything's exchanged electronically and away you go but are they ordering it um on your reputation or have you got guys on the road are you actively chasing uh, so it's mainly been um, people that we've known from past experience you know or, or met and so but that's our main focus though ultimately is like to want to build 
a lot of sales locally, but at the moment um, there's a lot of demand across Europe for, for beer from small brewers, so might as well, you know, hey, why not, got to pay bills. So. And the last question I have to ask is, if you were starting all over again, is there anything you would have done differently? I know you're still in the very early stages. Um, it's hard to say, hard to say. I mean, we probably, I think the hardest thing in the, in, in the whole lot is actually just getting the team right, you know? I think that's the hardest thing, so. Would we have done anything differently? No, I mean, you know, some people, you know, we probably have some people that didn't fit or decided they didn't like it, which is fine. I think, you know, we start at the bigger end where we go smaller. Well, yeah, I don't know, I'm not sure. I guess we're to the point where like, we don't want to have to do this again in a few years. So let's just say we're confident that, okay, we, we would do it the same. <laughs> do the same. <laughs> Alex Troncoso, thank you very much for joining the conversation. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. That was my conversation with Alex Troncoso. Next week, you can hear my conversation with Jasper Cuppage, the Australian who founded Camden Town Brewing in 2010 and grew it rapidly making distinctive craft lagers before selling the business to brewing giant ABI last year for a reported £85 million. If you enjoy the podcast, you can help us out by leaving a review on iTunes or your favourite podcast app. You can also become a producer of the shows by making a small regular payment or even a one-off payment to help us cover the costs of producing the show and maybe even buy a beer. You can find out all the details on the Radio Brews News section of brewsnews.com.au. On behalf of the Radio Brews News team, I am Matt Kirkegaard. Thanks for subscribing. We look forward to sharing another conversation with you next week. Yeah.